I was watching The Last Dance with my sons and I realized, though it was about Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, and the Chicago Bulls, one of the biggest factors of the Chicago Bulls was Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson was the leader, the coach. He's the person, as soon as he stepped on to that team, he helped them to get a ring. He was able to help them to see who they were individually and as a leader and as a team. And I think that's why we need a coach because you need somebody to help you develop yourself personally and within a group. So that's what Al Hardy is here to do. That's what I'm here to do is help you to grow personally and within your team, within your group, within your family. Go to www.mralhardy.com forward slash coaching sessions. Promo code Al's Chicken and Waffles. Everybody, this is Al Hardy, and you know this is Al's Chicken and Waffles. You know why we call it Al's Chicken and Waffles? Because this is about relationships. We bring in chicken and waffles. I call it the dynamic duo together. Today, I have a super uh, brilliant young lady. Her name is Marlene Francois. Um, she is a, L- a LCSW or, M- or MSW. Help, help me out, Marlene. Yeah, so MSW is just a master's in social work degree, but the LCSW is my actual licensure. Okay, okay. So now I have I have Marlene now. Me and Marlene, uh, I met Marlene through one of both of our a mutual friend, Maggie uh, Cherry, Dr. Mary Magdala. We call her Magdala uh, Cherry. Um, Maggie's, she's going to be here soon. You know, she she has a lot happening, but she's going to be here soon. Um, but we we met through through her, and then we have some other friends. Uh, you know, I'm I'm an honorary uh, Haitian. <laughs> you know, just <laughs> just due to my my one of my best friends, he just he passed away. I would say he passed away last year, and he's a uh, and he would he introduced me to the Haitian culture. Um, and then from there, you know, we, we he he introduced me to the black rice and everything like that. So, but today we got <laughs> we got Marlene 
And and Marlene, she's going to talk about the state of black girls. And, and, and even from a guy's perspective, um, I want to talk about how uh, we could love our young black girls to be effective women, to uh, to love men effectively. Um, so I think this is definitely going to be a poignant conversation. Marlene, what's going on? How's everything? Everything's going okay. You know, hanging in there. We're in the midst of this pandemic, but yeah. I'm hanging in there. Yeah, yeah. Marlene, um, you know, I, I, I talked a little bit about you, but how did you get to the space that you're in um, as a, as a practitioner, um, having being an entrepreneur, uh, a wife, how did you get to this space? Yeah. So, um, for a while I've always, I, I knew from the time I was five that I wanted to be a therapist. That's mm-hmm. something that was just like in my blood, like, this is what I'm going to do, but the steps to get there, of course, there were always bumps in a road. um, from being a child sexual abuse survivor from that to, you know, not having like my own safe space. So I turned to magazines. I would read mm-hmm. Teen Vogue magazines. I would read, you know, other magazines that were out there and just read stories from girls that were asking questions about whatever they were going through. And they would always have like a psychologist in the in the column that mm-hmm. would share tips on what to do. Mm-hmm. So from there, I told myself, okay, I want to be that person where I can offer guidance and advice for those that need it. And um, from there, just kind of went into the field and started working. But I think what made me get to this place where I'm like, I need to make sure that I'm a change agent for Black girls Hmm. was when I was, I remember I was just graduated from Penn State. I was working for Child um, Protective Services in Pennsylvania. And but the unit that I was working for was like an adolescent crisis unit. So I had about 67 teenagers on my caseload. Hmm. More than half of them were incarcerated in a detention center somewhere throughout the state of Pennsylvania. So what they did was instead of the correction officer or the attorney going out every single month to visit the kid to make sure they were okay, they would send us, the caseworkers. We would go out and do these trips. And I remember this one trip I had to do to Pittsburgh, six-hour drive, and it was an overnight trip. And they're like, oh, we're going to this one center to go see this one girl. And it was like a maximum locked security Mm-hmm. Like a federal, almost like federal, but like once they leave there, they would just go straight to like adult prison. Mm-hmm. And I remember the worker saying like, oh, you know, this girl is like, you know, too much to work with. When we go in there, we're just going to ask her, like, make sure she takes her meds and we out. We're not staying in there. We're not going to entertain her. We don't want her to attack us. And I remember walking in there and seeing her. And I'm like, this girl is very helpless. Like she's crying out for help, but everybody is so concerned about how many fights she got into, Mm. if she was on her medication, but nobody asked her about the cuts that were on her arms. Nobody asked her how her day was going. Did she get any phone calls? And I just saw like someone that was helpless. So I asked her how she was doing and I saw her face bright up. So for me in that moment, I started recognizing how people were not listening to black girls. Like Mm. They were being silenced. And one by one, any place that I went to work at, I saw the same narrative being played one after the other. And it just led me to where I am at now, like where, you know, working in private practice and finding ways where I can advocate for them and create safe environments for them. Man, that's powerful. That's powerful. Now, let's 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 go back. Right. Because you said a lot um, and, and we're going to kind of unpack this. Right. First, you, you've been through some trauma uh, while you was young, 
uh, yeah. is that what um can would, can you kind of expound on that what i mean and did did that really was that the genesis uh to to the work that you're doing like i'm not very, sure you know. it, it plays a role it okay. plays a role because at that time um i already knew i wanted to go into this field so mm-hmm. at a young age i knew like i want to become a fair like i would i would also i want to become a doctor but not a medical doctor. I just knew I wanted to become a doctor because my mom's boss was actually a clinical psychologist. Mm. So I'm like, I want to be a doctor just like her. But I knew she didn't wear a white coat, but I knew she left the house and went to an office space. But I'm like, I want to be what she is because she was so warming. And I think, you know, when I experienced my abuse, I didn't tell my parents. I never told them until I was like, probably in my adulthood, actually. Mm. And I think part of it was because the way it occurred, like how it happened, like, you know, 90% of, more than 90% of the times, it's a relative, it's someone, someone knows. Mm. And so when that's the case, and you're a minor, there's all these uncertainties and confusions. If I say something, what will happen? Will I get in trouble for saying something? Mm. So So that was what was going through my mind, you know, at a young age until like, eventually, I just stopped going there. I was like, I'm not going there. I'm not going over there. Um, so that's what ended up happening. And I think for me, like it, that pain helps me to, the pain that I experienced helped me to help other girls and recognize other people's pain. So I think for me, it kind of birthed this, um, being able to connect with people's stories, like connect with them and see what they're going through and understand what it feels like. Because experiencing, you know, when you go through trauma, it does something to you. It impacts your brain. Mm. Um, you know, it can affect how you trust people. There's so much that happens. And for me, you know, having to go through that when, mind you, my parents created a safe space for me, but mm. I didn't even go to them. Mm. So it makes me wonder, what about girls who feel like, well, I don't know if I can trust my mom. I don't know if I can trust my dad. I don't know if I can trust my auntie. I don't know if I can trust my teachers. What happens with girls who feel like they can't trust anyone to tell anyone? So I think that's what it made me recognize, like, what can I do to make sure I can like show up for other people that have experienced something just like this? Mm. And, you know, one of the things I had to make sure I did was make sure I get, I got my healing work before I started working in that area or doing trauma work with other girls. So, so what was that process? Like you, you your healing work, um, did that, yeah. did that, did like, okay. Cause now you're, you're in a field, right. Where mm-hmm. you, okay, let me go back. Right. So at, um, being in education, uh, one of the travesties that I see with teachers is that uh, is that they and, and my and my mom talks about it, talking about they 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 bleed their pain on to the children, on the people that they're supposed to be teaching and leading, right? Um, mm-hmm. And uh, those wounds are not healed, you know. Um, so, what was that like? for you to go into this field and to work on your inner healing before you, or even while you're doing this, you know, either or. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So initially, I mean, like when I first went into this field, because I've I've been in the field since I was like in college and undergrad, you know, doing internships and working a variety of settings, but working for child protective services at 22 years old, fresh out of Penn state, like four, I was like four months out of grad, out of undergrad. And working for them, literally our first detention center that I had to go on while I was, you know, working with them was a sex offender facility. Mm. That was the first stop we made. And 
mind you, this is a sex, sex offender facility, but it was with adolescents, mm-hmm. not adults. Mm-hmm. So that was strange for me, but I found that I had some sympathy for them, probably because they were minors. Mm-hmm. And it was very, it was, it was very difficult to kind of understand all the challenges there. And like, I left there and I was like, this is very interesting. Like, this is a job. I'm like, okay, so this is a job I got now. Like, I'm about Mm -hmm. to, you know, I'm in this field where, you know, your goal is to make sure children are safe and that, you know, if there are any imminent risk or dangers, any abuse that's happening, you know, you're, you're removing them out of the home. So little by little, I started hearing stories. Mm -hmm. And at one point I started to kind of get like you start to desensitize the story because you're overwhelmed, you're, you're burnt out, you're not getting paid a lot. And you're working on call. You're getting calls at 11 p.m. Mm. about, you know, someone who ran away. But in your mind, you're like, I know she's with her boyfriend, but you still got to follow protocol and call the judge and call the cops. Like you're doing all this paperwork. And I remember like here I am at 22. I wanted to just enjoy my life. I wanted Mm. to just still go out my friends and party. Mm. You know, I was I was living it up then. (laughs) I just wanted to have fun. And I was just remember like being stressed out around that time. And I was stressed out with the type of job that I had. So that's what kind of like, I was, I was not only stressed out with the job, I was also frustrated about the barriers that, that the youth were facing. So in that moment I said, okay, I need to leave this environment and go to grad school mm-hmm. or go to law school or okay. both. Okay. Ended up going to grad school. But I think for me, it wasn't until I was in a relationship at that time and got out of that relationship where I had to look at myself in the mirror and say, okay, Clearly, there are some things from your childhood that impact how you have romantic relationships. Mm. So because when it came to like, you know, friendships, mm-hmm. I, you know, I have a solid crew when it comes to family. I have a solid, you know, relationship with my family and my cousins. But it was something about the the relationship with like, you know, like a building a relationship with a partner mm-hmm. that was with something was not something was off. And I'm mm-hmm. like, OK. Clearly, you need to see someone about this if you're going to be working in this field, because I was just um, I was in grad school, wrapping up grad school, like finish up, finishing up with grad school. And I knew I was going to go back into field in the field to start working. So I told myself I need to make sure I find a way to get my healing journey. And I remember going to church like mm. that following week or something. Mm. And in the brochure, they said they were starting a 15 week support group for women survivors of child sexual abuse. Mm. I was like, okay, this is my sign right here. I'm like, I know this is the work that I want to do. Because when I saw it, I said, wow, this is the work that I want to do. But I said, nope, you got to get the work done first. Mm. And what's crazy is that um, I had family that have family, you know, all throughout Jersey. So I was like, you know, I would spend, I was in grad school. So sometimes I would like crash at my cousin's house and Mm -hmm. chill with them. And I remember the day of my first appointment to go to the support group. Guess who I run into the first day? Who's that? The perpetrator. Wow. <laughs> yep. And I haven't seen him in probably over 10 years at oh. that time. And I remember it was, you know, I had my book and everything ready to go. And I run into him. I said, hi. And I kept it moving. I didn't oh. feel like any ill feelings or anything. I'm like, you know what? I'm like, this, this is, this is like some type, this is something trying to mess up my spirit today oh. because I'm trying to get this healing work. Uh-huh. And I just remember like going into the um going into this 15 week group and like really being vulnerable and open about where I was at in my journey. And it was really good work, like to be able to do that because they had two licensed therapists that ran the group. It was a closed group, so about like, you know, less than 
less than seven people in the group. And so you get, you got to build with the other woman, but you got to learn so much about yourself and you have like a workbook you follow. Mm. So I remember just going through that and how, how powerful it was for me. And then later on down the line, I had like individual therapy as I was growing as a therapist, you know, it's always good to have your own work that you do as you're growing, but it allowed me to get another level of healing that I was able to now go in a workplace and like help other people. Mm, I think that's powerful. I think, and thank you for sharing that story because mm-hmm. um, we need to deal with uh, our, our, our childhood traumas, right? Um, especially as adults. So, um, and it's tough. It's tough mm-hmm. to, uh, to kind of look back. Sometimes we just want to move on. And, yeah. you know, so our body might grow older, our body might grow taller, bigger, you know what I mean? We might be in a different state, um, but our minds, our mindset still goes back at times to those traumas and we have to heal from it, you know? So I, 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 I want to commend you on that. Um, and you mentioned so much, right? So when we look at the state of black girls and the work that you do, especially when you was going into that uh, detention home. Um, like like I was saying, as an educator, um, we, I was dealing with young ladies who were, um, some would say that they were aggressive, you know, and they were aggressive amongst their peers. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that's a lot of the work that you do. However, when you get them alone, you know, and you, like you said, you say hello and everything like that, they become a different person. Um, like, can, can you explain that, especially at, at, at that younger age, you know, like what, what is that that's going on? You know, and I know some of it is them being, uh, preteens, teenagers, but then, um, on top of that, you know, when they come into the schools, you know, sometimes the way our teachers, and sometimes the way our world looks at our black young ladies is mm-hmm. so uh, degrading. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. And then as they become older, they 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 take on what people have put on them. So can Absolutely. you just talk about a little bit about that? Yeah. So sometimes people don't recognize that um, there's there's been there was an article that came out um, and like about it would say like a few years ago about how black girls were viewed as less innocent than white girls as young as five years old. Mm -hmm. And they did a study. And when they did the study, they recognized that they asked, they had about, um, about like, about like nine sample questions about, you know, do you think black girls need to be protected? And do you think like, as far as information they know, as far as like sexual content and information, or do they need to be nurtured and, and, and protected and things like that. And so what they found was that, as young as five, they felt like black girls didn't really need that. They, they were over that they were hypersexualized or they knew um, more information that they needed to know. They were too mature for their age. So they, this is not this is not what they really were. But this is the perception that adults have placed on black girls as young as five. And it spiked up until like their mid teens. And as they got to like their mid teens, it starts to decline because teenagers tend to know. Um, a little bit more mature information anyway, because they're growing into adulthood at turning mm-hmm. 18. Mm-hmm. But this is one of the things that they saw. And, and when you look at that study of like, you know, black girls being adultified by adults, then you can 
you can kind of look at the parallels between why we have this issue of Black girls being pushed out of the school system, whether it's the suspension rates mm-hmm. um, being suspended six times more likely than white girls for the same exact issue, or looking at the dress code policy, how they are often the one that's reprimanded because of the dress code policy or the dress code policy does not fit to some of the things that we have culturally, like girls like to wear head wraps. You know, mm-hmm. it's a style, mm-hmm. but the the school policy has it labeled as this is like gang affiliated or something. Mm-hmm. Or perhaps she has on ripped jeans, they send her home, but yet a white girl has on ripped jeans, but then they're not sending her home. Mm-hmm. So it's like all these barriers that they face in the school system. And it's like what I often hear, and this is a common theme, even last week when I was talking to a group of girls, um, they even said, and this wasn't like therapy girls from like my therapy practice. It was like a a, a, a nonprofit that had like a, a space they wanted to just have girls to kind of chat and learn about mental health. Mm-hmm. A lot of them said, no one hears me. No one's listening to me. I don't think anyone cares. Mm-hmm. And that's the perception they felt about people that were in their lives. Like people are not giving them a space to chat. And I think for me, one of the things that I do when I'm looking at working with them, I have to think about what is best practices for them. Mm-hmm. Am I providing um, a safe environment for them? Am I judge- judgmental or not? Mm-hmm. Am I allowing them to um, talk about their leadership abilities and and giving them, you know, giving, u- utilizing that. So like having them create rules. So like if you're working with a group of girls in a support group, having them lay down the foundation, what do they think the rules need to be? You know, really asking them questions so you can give them a platform to talk and and exercise their rights and talk about what matters to them because sometimes we don't give that space for them. So for me, that was very important. It was very important for me to like have a strength-based approach when I'm working with girls. And it has allowed them to like feel like, okay, well, I can let my guard down. I can mm-hmm. trust her. She's here for me. She's going to support me. I can do this. And that's that's where I'm at with them. Mm-hmm. Now, now, and and you know, I'm, I, I I like to do this with, with you because you know you you deal with young ladies. When I was when I was uh, a dean of culture, right, I had this one young man. He's sixth grade, but I would say he I'm six one. He's around. He was around like five seven, five eight, sixth grade, and he was I would say eleven, twelve years old. And so when he would get upset some of the teachers, they would look at him like he was a little man, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because of his mannerisms, right? Uh, because of how he, uh, some some of the, the conversations was, was, was in an adult type of way, right? So I yeah. think we have to, how do we teach, um, and I'm using school, but how do we teach adults how to look at our babies as that? you know, as an adolescent, because, you know, sometimes these kids, they, they are around adults and they're having adult, they're, they're, they're imitating the, these adults. And then when they come into an environment where their parents aren't there, you know, they could be looked at as adults. Like, how can we train, um, like, how can we look at our, as a, at our babies as babies, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think it really starts with um, holding people accountable for their actions. Mm-hmm. So, what, so let's talk about educators, for instance. So mm-hmm. with educators, 
What are they doing to make sure that they're providing a space that is truly inclusive when they're working with Black girls and Black boys? Mm -hmm. What are they doing as far as their own biases that they have about the child that's in the classroom? Are they equipped? Do they have PDs and trainings that they're doing that talks about how they can, um, you know, work with work work with people who don't look like them? You know, whether mm -hmm. they speak different languages or they come from different um, backgrounds. So, like, I think that that's some of the things that I recognize that that we're lacking sometimes is holding them accountable, holding them accountable to their actions, making sure that they're not the one that's failing the student because sometimes. Um, the child is very smart and bright, mm -hmm. but perhaps there's something going on at home that makes it difficult for them to learn. So mm -hmm. they're dealing with a stressor at home. They may have a parent that is sick, especially now when we're looking at, you know, the pandemic and COVID. Mm -hmm. We have some teenagers that are working full-time jobs because maybe the family lost their job. Perhaps someone in a hospital is in a hospital or they have essential workers in their household. Um, perhaps like trying to do distance learning from home is not suitable for them because they don't have the space to do it mm -hmm. or the computer that they have, the Wi-Fi is not working. Um, maybe distance learning just doesn't work for them as far as learning or mm -hmm. the teacher is not providing the information in a way that they can learn. Mm -hmm. So all of those things can really, can really cause stress mm -hmm. for an adolescent. Mm -hmm. And so when we have educators who don't understand those things and not looking, you know, not really like paying attention to make sure like, okay, well, what's going on with them? You know, what can I do to help you to succeed? So I think we have to really look at even like, what are some of the restorative justice practices that people are doing mm -hmm. to, to help, you know, to help, to help, to help our, our, our girls to succeed. Mm -hmm. So, so can you stay right there when we talk about restorative justice? Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So like with me, when I think of restorative justice, I always think of, I always say like prevention over punishment. Mm -hmm. So in what way are we helping our girls? So like um, when they looked at like the adultification biases of black girls, one of the things that they recognized in their study that came up was that black girls were not afforded certain opportunities. So pushing black girls out, excluding them from opportunities. So whether it's leadership opportunities mm. um, where they are maybe the president of the STEM program, mm. pushing out from AP classes or being able to take uh, statistics instead of algebra one or being able to take trigonometry, being able to take an advanced STEM course in school. So they pushed them out of certain spaces and this limits them from having access. So I always think about what are we doing to help them instead of punishing them right away for something that happened? How can we use this as a teachable moment? How can we have them sit there and tell us what happened? What do they need? What do they need so we can help them to succeed? So like identifying like what are the triggers in that moment? Who caused harm to who? How do we fix this? How do we fix this so this doesn't happen again? Rather than immediately saying, you know what? You're you're getting a detention. Because getting a detention does not solve the problem. Mm. If they had an issue with another girl in a school and they got into a fight and you gave them both detention, it does not solve the problem because you're not helping them to learn how to build healthy relationships. You're not teaching them how to communicate with one another and using I feel statements. Instead, you're immediately saying you're in trouble. And that's it. And no one is assessing their needs. So then now you still have this problem that happens over and over and over because whatever measures you have in your school is a punitive approach. Hmm. So, 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 all right. Now, cause, cause you're bringing me back to, <laughs> you're bringing me back so much to school. 
So and and this is this is great, right? Because I think um I think there's there's a major issue, right? Because when you're talking about putting kids into detention and everything like that, there you know, uh, that's the culture of a lot of school systems, right? Um, if you don't do it my way, is the highway, or you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And then the pressure, the the teacher has a lot of pressure because they're trying to teach content and they can't really deal with, you know, they they want everybody to behave a certain type of way, right? So yeah. what are some things that parents could do, right? Because a lot of times when you talk to the teachers and you talk to the the, the administrators, they're not just frustrated with the 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 child they're frustrated with the parent right and yeah. and, when, and when i say that like for instance you know let's just say you have tommy um Tom, or let's just say jamal the, the, you got jamal jamal you know good kid but he's uh he's able to uh he watches tv with, with his mom he doesn't necessarily and then, and so he's able to, he he has a high EQ, right? He has that emotional <laughs> intelligence because he's been around his mom. He knows how she, he knows how she feels. He knows everything, right? Same thing yeah. with, with, uh, with the young lady they might know how, how to, how, how you feel. But then when you come into the classroom so that we could get them into that STEM class or into that STEM and into, into that leadership, um, they're not proficient enough you know they're not to that space where we got to get them where we got to move them forward you know so how can we help all all parties you know because what i see is that all parties are frustrated you know Uh and and how can we bring them all on the same page yeah so I think, so we're looking at teachers that are frustrated and overwhelmed. We're looking at administrators who have things to work with on an administrative level. So mm-hmm. there's probably a disconnect between them and educators. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a big focus on placement tests and our school doing well and yes. all of these things, right? Our mm-hmm. school doing well, but we're not thinking about the emotional well-being of our students who do well. Mm-hmm. It's more about the numbers game, how we're doing on paper, graduation rates, and all those things. I'm not saying we don't have great educators. We have so many great educators that are doing great work. Then we have great educators that are burnt out. Then we have other people that just probably should not be an educator in certain school districts mm-hmm. or move on to something else. Yes. But I think um, when we're looking at families, we have to think about what are the families dealing with? So Perhaps they do not speak English. That's mm. something that we need to explore. What happens when the parent does not speak English and they do not want to come to the school because they feel like, well, you know, who's going to advocate for me when we can't allow the child to translate for them? Mm. So will the school have an interpreter, a live interpreter? Because a live interpreter versus a telephone interpreter is not the same interaction. Mm-hmm. So being able to have someone that's there in person to interpret it, in, interpret in English for them. Mm. We also have to think about what's happening in the home environment, because sometimes when teachers are working at a certain hour, certain Mm -hmm. hours of the day. So if during that time they're calling parents, the parents may be at work. Mm -hmm. Whoever is responsible for the child may not be home. So now you're calling them and you want to set up this meeting. They may not be available because of their work schedule or they may not have um, transportation to get to and from the school. Um, at a at a time that works for you, or if they have to take off work, perhaps they won't get any paid time off to get off work to be there. 
Um, so they may have other barriers that kind of gets in the way for them to like really show up there. I think one of the things that we could probably do, um, it would be really great if like, you know, the school can kind of partner with like trusted organizations and host like these virtual, like virtual webinars or something where you're providing the information, you're doing parent teachers conferences, you're providing the information for the parents. So like you're doing on a Saturday where people probably can show up on a Saturday or Sunday mm-hmm. and give them the information. So that way you can build that trust. Mm. But I think, um, I think trust is hard. Trust is hard for people to do because, you know, sometimes people have been burned so often by different people. So they don't know who they can trust or for them, for some parents, it's, you know, my child is in the school. It's your job to teach them and make sure that they're good. That's not my job. Mm. And so they separate the fact that they're the ed- so then some for some parents they look at the education of the child as the teacher's responsibility and not their responsibility to do. Hmm. And and I and I, I bring up you know children um so much uh, with you because, uh, you know for for young men we always talk about the prison uh the school to prison um pipeline right um mm-hmm. what does what does that look like for our young ladies you know because you know um there are a lot of young ladies who are going to college, but then there's also a lot of young ladies who are not in college or, you know what I mean? Then I I believe you you talked about, you gave me a statistic where there are a lot of uh, black young ladies who who are going to prison and and they're not even getting the, the attention or the need or the help or the support that's needed, you know? So can you just Mm -hmm. talk about that? Yeah. Definitely. So, um, you know, black girls are six times, six times more likely to be suspended from school Mm -hmm. um, compared to white girls for the same exact measure. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they are also four times more likely to be arrested in school than a white girl. Mm -hmm. So that's something else we don't explore. And also um, they're about like three times more likely to be referred to also law enforcement. So those are some things like, so you have either they're being incarcerated, they're being um, sent to sent to to being referred for law enforcement um, rather than being referred for therapeutic services. Mm. So we have these girls that are being arrested. We have them being suspended. So they're creating this pipeline at a very young age for them. And when you disrupt their schooling, you put them in a criminal justice system. And when you put them in a criminal justice system, what is the likelihood of them furthering their education? So now they're in this, 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 um, this, this, you know, criminal justice system, but yet you're not offering anything that's, you're not offering restorative justices. You're, you may not, they may not have any trauma informed, um, counseling services that are offered to them. And they've even shown that, you know, most of the girls that they were referring to detention centers had some sort of trauma. They had some sort of trauma, but that was not being assessed that they were just being referred because of a particular behavior rather than looking at the behavior as something that has a, that behavior is just, uh, it's just what we're seeing that's being manifested as a result of something else that happened, whether it's a traumatic experience, whether they're dealing with depression. Um, so those are just some things that I noticed that has been happening. So it's like they're funneling them to the criminal justice system and then, this disrupts their schooling. This disrupts their education, their trust with um, educators and counselors, um, feeling like no one really cares about them. And, you know, a lot of girls really don't need to be in detention centers. 
And I believe New Jersey has one of the highest incarceration rates when it comes to youth prisons. Mm. Mm. Wow. That's crazy. You know, and, and when I think about, you know, uh, everything that you do with your work, right? And and I think of, like, uh, like what came to mind was Tiffany Haddish. Um, mm-hmm. just, and I, and I use her as an example was because, you know, when, when, when we talk about her childhood, she went through so much and, you know, and then now, even if you look at the work that she does, you know, you could tell that she was just a trip, you know what I mean? She's funny, <laughs> you know what I mean? And she made a career out of her funny. Um, but I think the, 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 the major part of, of her is, uh, we have to create a safe space for our young ladies for them to grow, even if they're not uh, the typical doctor or lawyer. Right. Um, yeah. And, you know, and she's in a male dominated business. Um, so how can we right, um, as adults, but then as men, uh, how can we create these safe nurturing environments for our young ladies and what does that kind of look like how can like so help the brothers out a little bit yeah so brothers i need you guys to protect them so protect them is one of the things advocate for them so advocate for them when they're not in a room Mm -hmm. so when i say the brothers not just like adult black men but also like black boys and teens where if you're in a room and people are you know they dodging somebody's sister like you know just roasting her saying something inappropriate for you to be the man that checks them and say, nope, you're not going to say that about her. You're not going to call her the B word. You know, you're going to treat her with respect. So having our brothers like show up for, for the women that are for the, for the women and girls. So whether it's, um, you know, advocating for them or even advocating for them, like in a job setting. So when they go and apply for a job for you to, you know, give them a contact with somebody you know or providing mm-hmm. that reference for them for the get for them to get the opportunity. Mm-hmm. If you see something that is of interest to them, giving them access. So I think it's really about like really bridging that gap where we can connect together and give access to each other, access of resources, access of of um our network, um, access of our own knowledge, being able to mentor each other. So like I really think like what we need, we need like, I I really think our brothers need to protect black girls. So like, if you have a niece, got a little sister, a daughter, protect her, protect her, show, show up for her, show up to her dance recitals, Mm -hmm. ask her what she likes to do, who are her friends, ask her about dating, ask her questions, you know, have a date day with her. It doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be something expensive, but being able to pour into her so she can see that you're showing up for her and you care about her. Mm, that's good. That's good. No, no. So wearing the Black Men Are Dope and Black Women Are Dope shirts has been pretty amazing. Like I would walk around and people would look at my shirt and there are some people who looked very uncomfortable, but then there were people who were nodding in agreement and that just boosted up this sense of pride that I have of being a strong black woman as well as being having having strong black men in my life and I just want to share that message with the world and a lot of the times we think that we can only share that message from verbally you know talking about our black our black men and black women being so dope but you know what I can share that message without 
even opening my mouth and saying the word. I just put the shirt on and walk around and let the and I let the fashion speak for itself. Go to www.mrihardy.com forward slash shop and put in the promo code Chicken Waffles. Now let's let's talk a little bit about relationships because you know at you know I guess eleven twelve you know girls are starting to like boys boys are starting to like girls and you know and if there isn't any uh guidance in that in that how can uh how can young boys and young girls build healthy relationships and i'm not talking about uh like them dating i'm just saying how can they build healthy friendships with each other um and what does that look like you know because i would for some people, they say times have changed. Sometimes they have it, you know. Uh, but what does that look like? So as far as building healthy friendships, I think we just got to allow them to hang out with each other. So like hanging out with each other to just do things that are age appropriate for teens to do. So going out to playing games somewhere. So like they can go to like the arcade or something, mm-hmm. playing playing there. Um maybe hosting a game night at somebody's house and everybody's there. Perhaps um, even having like a night where they watch some sort of movie, they get to critique it and mm-hmm. talk about it. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they're into advocacy work. So if you know there's a rally going on, they show up together and they get to rally together. So mm-hmm. I think just finding things that they enjoy doing and having them do that with their friends. Mm-hmm. So if they're into music, getting together with their friends that's into that, the arts, um, any STEM program. So like really letting them to to learn how to build with each other, because I think so often what you find is that some parents will say like, you're a girl, you can't hang out with these guys and you're a boy, you know, you're not really hanging out with girls in the appropriate way. Like we have these ideas that we place on these boys and girls. Mm-hmm. And then when they turn adults, they don't know how to have healthy communications with each other. Yes because of the expectations that we have for them and how girls are supposed to show up a certain way and how boys, it's okay to do certain things. But yet if girls do certain things, they're being called all types of names. Mm-hmm. So I think if we teach them at a young age how to build healthy communications with each other, how to have disagreements and still be friends, um, how to set boundaries with one another, then we can really, um, we can really set them up for success. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I mean, you know, so I have three I have three boys and a girl and a daughter, right? And um yeah. and you know, they they play with each other, they they advocate for each other and you know, they they definitely have a healthy relationship. However, you know, uh the the tricky thing is is that when um you know, we we do have to recognize the differences, right? Because when like so when the boys when they go back and forth they could get a little bit aggressive you know um and then when it gets to that point with their sister you know we usually stop it i usually stop it you know what i mean because i want them to always understand that we're supposed to like you said respect and protect you know what i mean but then i think on the flip side for my daughter I try to help her to understand that you there are certain things you can't say to push people to a point where they want to, uh, you know, because she could just, you know, they, they say that women talk more than men, <laughs> you know what I mean? And they're more sharper than men with, yeah. their, with their tongue. So, you know, so she could say something even in a passive way 
that could just kind of just cut cut them you know what i mean so mm-hmm. so you know so we have to we, i think in the, especially at this at these ages she's 13 her brothers are older so you know um we just try to teach how to how to engage you know what i mean in disagreements you know what i mean because that's tough <laughs> you know what i mean because you're yeah. a ch- you're a child you know mm-hmm. so you feel as though especially with your peers or your brothers that or your siblings you could just say whatever you want at that time you know what i yeah. mean so we try to curve that energy now when we talk about women right uh how can girls build healthy relationships with each other Man, we need, I'm a, uh, to be honest, I'm going to um, push this on Black women, not Black girls. Because okay. I think Black women need to learn how to have healthier relationships with each other, create and cultivate safe spaces with one another where mm-hmm. they're not tearing each other down, mm-hmm. not competing with each other, not seeing each other as threat, mm-hmm. um, learning how to be vulnerable with one another, knowing how to hold spaces for one another, um, knowing knowing how to be fully self-aware and knowing like, is your sis okay? Is she good? Like, I think when we can do that, do that, we can model that to young girls and teach them how to do that. But I think for so long, we have people, not everyone, but so many people are tearing each other down, yet we want Black girls to do the work. We want Black girls to show up for each other. We mm-hmm. want them to not have fights in school with each other. But yet they watch, they're watching it happen even on reality TV. Mm-hmm. We watch reality TV shows. That's exactly what's happening. You know, you see some of their favorite celebrities, you know, that are, you know, music artists that are tearing each other down and they're on the shade room. It looks good. It looks good for media to do all of this. Mm-hmm. And we're expecting for them to know how to have healthier relationships. And one of the things people don't recognize is that with teenagers, their brain, it's not fully developed. So because mm-hmm. it's not fully developed, they also struggle with knowing how to rationalize certain things and not act on impulse. So their self-management skills may not be so great. Mm -hmm. They may not know how to critically think something out in that moment because they're so upset. They're upset, so they're going from zero to 100 real quick. Mm -hmm. And then from there, they're just reacting. They're reacting because that's the way their brain has been functioning, this fight-or-flight response and reacting. Rather than taking a pause and knowing, okay, how do I assess the situation? How do I work it out? Mm -hmm. And I've seen it with girls. I've seen it with girls. I went to a high school last year to do a talk on friendships with girls. And as I was doing the talk, um, all of a sudden, when the girls started asking questions, it was like passive aggressive. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, shade. She started what happens? Some shade. Yeah, like what <laughs> happens if, like, miss, I got a question. What happens if you were friends with somebody, but yet all of a sudden, they start acting brand new because, and then you see everyone's like, oh, she's talking about and you see the whispering, you you see it and you're looking around and you're looking around the room and you're like, oh, I see what group of girls you're talking about. Because now that group of girls, they got their hands raised in the ear like, I have a question too. What happens if, and so I'm watching this play out and I'm like, a fight better not break out in this room because it's nine o'clock in the morning. I came in to do this talk. I don't know half these girls. There was like 50 girls in the room. I'm like, okay. And the teachers all left because for the teachers, here's a speaker that's here. We get a break. We get a break. So keep the girls. We're out. Uh And it was only one person there, the guidance counselor. So the teachers all left. And so now all the girls are here. And so then all of a sudden I was like, now I'm a, I got to make sure I I narrate this and create the safe environment for them to talk about what the issue is. So I was able to pinpoint who the two girls were. 
And I had them both express what their frustration was. Mm -hmm. So as one of them started talking and I was like, wait, 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 your friends are not going to talk for you. I want you to talk. Mm -hmm. And I said, this is what I need you to do. I said, I need you to tell me what was something you admired about your friendship that you had with her. Mm -hmm. And then she mentioned it. She was like, she always had my back. And mm -hmm. I said, okay. And I said, I know you heard what she said. I want you to tell me what is something you admired about her friendship. And then she said what she, she had to say about how, like, you know, she always advocated for me. I know she will always show up for me. That was the person I can go to to talk about anything. Mm. And I said, okay, well, now that you don't have her to talk about anything, who do you go to? And she said, no one. Mm. Mind you, she's sitting there with her new two girlfriends on her left and right, but she couldn't go to them about things that she went to with the other girl. Mm. And I said, so I was able to sit there and like, you know, have them talk about what is something they admired about each other and what they think the issue was. Mm -hmm. And I said, do you miss that friendship? And she's like, I do. And she's like, yo, she's like, miss, you about to make me cry. Like, I don't want to cry. And I said, <laughs> it's okay. I'm like, it's okay. I'm like, I want you to know that it's okay. And I said, I need you both to get up right now and hug each other. Mm -hmm. And they both got up, hug each other. And they said, okay, we're going to hang out. I said, I need you both to make a schedule because you used to hang out all the time. Make a schedule to hang out. And when you guys hang out, it just needs to be the two of you. No other friend, because the two of you are really close friends and you guys had a fallout and have different friends. I need you guys to rebuild this bond with each other. Mm. So they had to learn how to be vulnerable with their emotions and how to rebuild and forgive. Mm. And sometimes girls don't know how to do that. They put up this hard show like, I'm good. I don't need any other friends or, you know, I found you friends. I'm fine. Because we, we were, were raised to be these strong black women. Just mm. keep going. But we have to learn how to be vulnerable with one another. And I think when when we can do it as adults, we can model that for black girls to see that. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. So so I I have a couple more questions before before I let you go, right? Because what I was thinking about is what 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 I've seen with young ladies, especially you know in in high school. Uh, I would say in high school and some some in junior high, but more so high school. You know, uh, when they they don't know how to disengage in a healthy way. If so, if they're trying to like like what you said, they like you know they have an issue with somebody. Uh, they address it in an unhealthy manner, like they'll start getting loud or they'll start passing like little rumors about the other person, you know what uh -huh. I mean? And how do we like, let's just say, you know, you've outgrown one of your, 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 your home girls, right. Uh -huh. You know, let's just say you're, you know, one, one girl is going to an AP class and the other girl is, you know, staying in, you know, the regular classes, you know, not saying that she's brand new, but she has new friends. How do you disengage, right? Or some sometimes one girl might be a little uh, reserved, and somebody might be a little bit aggressive. You know what I mean? And there's nothing wrong with the with the aggressiveness or being reserved. <laughs> but how do you, you know, address? You know, how do you how you feel about somebody without hurting them? You know, especially at that age, because it could be real touchy. Yeah. I mean, trying to address it, you might hurt their feelings because I think sometimes we, you know, for some teens, it's hard to hear someone say something negative about you or something they don't like about you. Mm. So sometimes they may take it as a personal attack. Um, 
So that may be hard. And I think like when you're talking about the friendships being shifting because they're not on the same path. Mm -hmm. So one girl may be taking AP class while another girl is in a general class, or maybe their schedules have shifted based on the schedule Mm -hmm. and they're building friendships with other people. I think if they really want to hold on to that friendship, they have to be intentional. They have to create time for each other, whether it's after school, texting one another, just to follow up on, hey, this is how my day went. But there may be moments where you find yourself drifting from certain friends Mm. and you just have to ask yourself, is this for a season or is this permanently? because sometimes you're going to find that you're going in another path that is going to help you to excel. And certain people just cannot go with you. Like their expiration date has come to an end and you have to keep going. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make them a bad person, but perhaps, perhaps, you know, they just have to go in another direction. You got to go in another direction. And if I meet you at the top, I meet you at the top. If I don't, then I don't. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's good. And and, okay. And then, uh, and, and what I also see is with young ladies, is uh, a focus on the negative, you know what I mean? So, like with guys, we can snap on each other, you know. Yeah. And we and, and we <laughs> we'll we'll feel some type of way, but we kind of keep it moving. With young ladies, it kind of sits with them, you know what I mean? Especially if another girl say something like, you know, all oh, them shoot like they 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 is it like a different type of dig, right? How can you uh, how can you address something that you don't necessarily not like but something that this person might have to improve upon be it their attitude or even maybe the way they dress you know how can young ladies do that in a healthy way like with each other yes with each other it's based on your relationship you have with them if you have a good relationship with them you're close enough i would say start off with something you like about them before you mention it and also check your tone of voice like how is your tone of voice when you're bringing that matter to them Mm -hmm. letting them know like hey you know i think you really need to work on your attitude you know but you still my girl you still my girl i see what i like about you you have good qualities you're assertive you're a boss like you let people know how you feel Mm -hmm. but at the same time you know the way you come off might push people away. Like being able to explain it to them in a way where it's not going to hurt their feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, but also not sugarcoating it because we have to have accountability. So mm-hmm. it's part of having accountability and just saying like, well, my job is to help you grow the same way you help me grow as a friend. Mm-hmm. That's good. All right, and this is the last one. Boys. There's a lot of mm-hmm. fights that happens in these schools because of boys. <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. uh, because of, you know, relationships with, with liking one, like, you know, it might be two girls liking one one guy or, you know what I mean, a friend. Like, you know, it's, it's a lot of stuff that, that happens, right? How can, yeah. you know, how, how do these ladies maintain these relationships with each other? And and I'm not saying push the boys out, but to, to look beyond them, you know what I mean? Like, you can have a good relationship with a, with a, with a boy. And still have a, a good relationship with your homegirl. You know what I mean? Um mm-hmm. like like things like that. Or, you know, if you know um that this boy isn't good for your homegirl, how can you tell tell her that still have her back? Like, you know, these are some of the issues that these young ladies are dealing with, you know, 
15, 16, 17 years old, like, you know, and they're breaking mm-hmm. up strong, and, and, and the, the, these young men are breaking up these strong relationships with, with friends that could take them, you know, throughout a lifetime or even a, a good a season, a strong season, you know, how, mm-hmm. how does this work for, for these young ladies? Yeah, so I mean, if you're in, if you have a close friend, and now you're in a relationship with someone, don't neglect one relationship or the other. Granted, as you, you know, if you have a close friend, you've been friends with for a while, when you're in a relationship, you're building time. So you may spend a little bit more time with them because you're getting to know them. You're excited. You know, you, you know, that's bang, like you fall in love, the whole nine, like, right? Mm-hmm. You just googly eye, <laughs> right? Yeah. So you're just excited about it. But at the same time, you got to hold space for that friend. I think um, we have to make sure that girls are not seeking validation strictly from men that they're not, you know, from these boys, like that's not where their validation is coming from, that they really know who they are and they're not, you know, looking for it and craving for it to the point where they let go of all their friends just for that guy. And then when something doesn't work out with the boy, now they're running back to their friends like, Hey, I'm back. You know, the relationship didn't work out. Um, and then runs, run back into that same cycle again. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, we've all been there. Um, I've had friends like that, you know, when I was in high school too, like, you know, good friends. And then the minute they get in a relationship, they're nowhere to be found. No Mm -hmm. calls, don't hang out with anyone. But Mm -hmm. then once they break up, hey, I'm back. What are you guys doing? What are you up to? Mm -hmm. And it became a cycle over and over and over. Um, And so sometimes that happens, but you just got to know, okay, well, is this friendship worth saving and holding on to? See, Marlene, I think, and, and I, I, I've, you know, we, we've seen a lot. So, you know, because when these, when you see these type of cycles, right, you know, mm-hmm. you have, uh, you know, as a therapist, you, I know you, you try to get to the root of it, um, yeah. you know, uh, but then on, on the other side, uh, you know, there are people as they get older, they continue this, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and so, going into their 30s, going into their 40s, you know, when they get with the, uh, a, a guy, you know what I mean, they leave their friends or their even their family, you know what I mean, for a relationship, you know what I mean? So, and sometimes lo- those relationships are fleeting, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And I think we have to start really start educating um, our young people and, 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 and the adults on healthy uh, relationships, healthy boundaries, you know, uh, understanding and self-awareness, you know, do, do I, do mm-hmm. I really like, you know, sometimes you like somebody has to bring things up to you every time, you know, you get in a relationship, you know, you, you know, you, you don't reach out, <laughs> you know what I mean? You don't, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and we care about you. We want to know how you're doing, you know? Uh, so we have to teach, you know, our, our, each other really, how to have these type of conversations because I think a lot of it is uh, fear of not talking, you know, because we feel like we're going to hurt somebody's feelings when our feelings are getting hurt. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and, and that's tough, you know, and do, do would you say in therapy that kind of uh, helps, you know, you kind of help people to coach them through those type of conversations? Yeah, yeah. For them to learn how to communicate 
with people for them to know, like, what are their attachment styles? If they avoid people, avoid conflict, are they anxious? Um, do they know how to have secure and healthy relationships? Um, being able to identify like what's their emotion they're dealing with. Is it really the friend or something else that's going on internally in their own lives? So helping them how to like, you know, get through this entire journey so they can, you know, have a healthier emotional well-being. Now that's good. That's good. All right, Marlene, listen, can you please just let people know how they can uh, reach you? Can you let them know about the book that you have? Um, I know you have an online virtual program. I'm not sure if it, if you're going to continue it throughout the summer, but can you just mm-hmm. let people know what's going on with you? Yeah, so um, I have a three-day virtual summit that I'm doing for Black girls. It's a career day hosted by Black professional women where, you know, your traditional STEM fields to your creative careers to like social justice and wellness careers. Um, So we're doing a three-day summit for the girls, but also we're launching our digital leadership academy where a variety of workshops from social justice to stress management, to self-esteem, to college planning, to goal setting. So I wanted to, I wanted them to have like their own safe space where they get to hear from experts and and instructors to kind of learn how to navigate these different um, journeys. Mm. Um, And of course the platform is going to be free um, because we know our girls need access. Um, They need to have equity. They need to have opportunity so that is literally why I created. So um, it's called the state of black mm-hmm. along with the book. Um, the book is called the state of black girls, a go-to guide for creating self safe spaces for black girls. So you can find the information there. And also um, my personal um, account, um, a personal brand I get, account, I should say is Marlene Francois.com. So please reach out to her, <clears throat> excuse me, please reach out to her. Um, it, this is a, like, Marlene is dope. She's just dope. So I, oh, I thank I, you. You too. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. But um, just continue to do the work that you do. And um, I just want to say thank you for everything that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. No problem. No problem. And I'm going to start directing people for that virtual, uh, the virtual career deck. Cause I think that's super, super awesome for our young ladies. Thank you. Thank no, you. No problem. Have a good one. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. I want to say, first, I want to say thank you for listening. You got through this episode, and hopefully you learned a lot. Hopefully you got some tips, you got some tricks, you got some things that you can pass on to uh, not just women, but to men. Uh, Marlene, I would like to say thank you. And please, uh, when you hear this episode, please repost, share, and make a comment. Thank you.